2: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. President Biden has approved an emergency declaration for counties impacted by the Caldor Fire burning in the Sierra foothills here in Northern California. The declaration will provide federal assistance for emergency response and recovery efforts in El Dorado, Amador, Alpine and Placer counties. Meanwhile, some communities north of Highway 50 on the western flank of the fire are preparing to head back home as evacuation orders in parts of Pollock Pines and Camino have been downgraded to warnings. But there are still major concerns about fire activity near the Kirkwood Ski Resort and Wrights Lake. During a briefing last night, Cal Fire Deputy Chief Mike Marcucci walked back previous comments by fire officials about trying to push the fire towards the Tamarack Fire.
0: That is not the case. So the fire is moving towards the Sierra Front, and our goal right now is to put in line around it, first of all to keep it out of the communities and keep it to the east right now currently of South Lake Tahoe, but also to come around that fire to some uh, I guess I'll say really well put in fuel modifications that have been put in around the Heavenly Ski Resort that were already there before the fire and we can tie into those to hopefully box this fire
1: in.
2: The Caldor Fire has burned nearly 208,000 acres and has destroyed about 600 homes. It's 23% contained. We're gonna go to San Diego now where the County Board of Supervisors has passed a resolution declaring misinformation about the pandemic, a public health crisis. The debate over the proposal earlier this week lasted 15 hours, most of which was public comment. The majority of people were against the resolution and said it amounted to censorship. But supporters like Amber Tervroot with Scripps Health said the consequences of misinformation can be deadly. You know, misinformation is a poison to our communities and it is having a ripple effect in our hospitals. We have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Nathan Fletcher, who's the chair of the Board of Supervisors there, said the resolution wouldn't affect freedom of speech.
0: The sun will come up in the morning and everyone who's here will still have the exact same ability to speak out and to say whatever it is you would like to say. Our county will be on record calling out misinformation for what it is. And our county will be more engaged
2: the resolution directs the county to document sources spreading misinformation and to adopt training for health professionals to combat it well yesterday we talked about the potential criminal justice impacts if governor gavin newsom is recalled and a republican replaces him Today, we look at what a new state leader might do around health care and the budget, including the COVID-19 response. From KQED's politics team, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer have this report.
3: It seems pretty likely that if any of the leading GOP candidates replace Governor Newsom, statewide COVID-19 mandates for masking and vaccines would end.
2: Any emergency or executive action that this governor has taken could be undone on day one of the new
1: governor.
0: That's Republican Mike Janest, who worked as former governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's finance director. He supports the recall.
2: A governor can sign an executive order at uh, noon, five seconds after he's sworn in. And I, I imagine some of these candidates, if elected, are prepared to do that.
3: While many recall supporters likely would cheer such a move, polls show a majority of Californians support Newsom's pandemic approach. And Dana Williamson, a top aide to former Democratic Governor Jerry Brown, warns that rolling back those requirements could have far-reaching consequences. Williamson opposes the recall.
1: Day one, whoever replaced Newsom could walk in, get rid of all of those orders, and we could have complete chaos, lots more kids exposed unnecessarily, Our hospitals overrun, businesses having to shut down. It's a very, very real possibility that we could have a very ugly situation in California if this recall were to pass.
0: Less clear is whether any of the leading GOP candidates would try to prevent local governments from keeping their own pandemic mandates in place, a move currently being challenged in court in GOP-led states like Texas and Florida.
3: But those who work in state government say COVID 19 response isn't the only thing a new governor could disrupt.
1: Anyone who gets services in government could be immediately impacted.
0: That's Dana Williamson again. A governor does have power to slow down or stop those programs through simple administrative maneuvers.
1: Yes, there are lots of laws protecting Californians, but the Department of Healthcare Services has a ton of regulatory. Authority on policies about how money gets out, how things are funded.
3: There's also the potential for less quantifiable impacts, says Daniel Zingali, who's worked for Republican and Democratic governors. He says agencies like the Department of Healthcare Services could see a brain drain if staff is demoralized by a new governor's approach to health care or pandemic response.
1: Well, I think many of the current people are just hanging on out of dedication to fighting the pandemic and so on. If they felt like a new leader came in and didn't have that as a priority, you'll probably have some exodus.
0: And then there's the budget. A new governor would take office at the end of October and almost immediately get to work putting their stamp on next year's spending plan.
3: This would be a new governor's biggest opportunity to change the direction of state government, says Hoover Institution fellow Lonnie Chen, a Republican who's running for state controller.
1: It is a way of sending a strong
0: message about what the priorities of an administration are and where the administration's going to fight
1: with the legislature, you know, because you are going to see probably a lot of policy conflict, presumably.
0: And regardless of what a governor proposes, the legislature has a say, too. In fact, former administration officials on both sides of the aisle agree that a stalemate with Democratic lawmakers is all but inevitable.
3: And with only a year until the governor, whoever it is, runs for re-election, the former Schwarzenegger aide Janess says a new governor's most powerful tool might just be the bully pulpit.
1: The only thing that can really happen is an acknowledgment that we need to change direction.
0: One former Republican assembly leader says he would urge any new governor to find common ground with lawmakers. Here's former San Luis Obispo Assemblyman Sam Blakesley.
1: When you're governor, if you cannot work with the legislature, you cannot solve problems.
3: Given the heated and partisan campaign rhetoric, it seems like that sort of cooperation might be a tall order for both a new governor and the Democratic-led legislature. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos.
1: And
0: I'm Scott Schaefer.
3: Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
4: I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California.
2: Turning now to Southern California, a black couple is suing the city of Beverly Hills, alleging that they were racially profiled during their arrest last September. Khalil White and Jasmine Williams of Philadelphia were on vacation last year when they were taken into custody for riding a scooter on the sidewalk and resisting arrest. Here's White speaking at a news conference yesterday.
5: We was enjoying ourselves on vacation. We didn't see any signs anything stating that it was illegal to ride a scooter on a sidewalk on Rodeo Drive. We got the scooters off of a sidewalk in California, in Beverly Hills. So when we was arrested, it was traumatizing. It was the last thing on my mind for me to witness.
2: The couple's attorneys say Beverly Hills Police set up the Rodeo Drive Task Force last year, which ended in 106 people being arrested. They claim 105 of them were black. The attorneys say the task force was set up to target black people in the city, particularly after numerous protests were held over the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. The Beverly Hills Police Department has not addressed the number of people arrested or the race of those individuals. But in a statement, the department's police chief said the Rodeo Drive team was created in response to complaints by local businesses about an increase in criminal activity. Chief Dominic Rivetti also says White and Williams were warned earlier in the day about riding scooters on the sidewalk. This week marked the formal withdrawal of all U.S. troops from Afghanistan after two decades. In recent weeks, the world has seen images of Afghans desperately trying to leave the country. Many comparisons have been made to the fall of Saigon. Journalist Ngoc Nguyen joins me now with more on that. She's ethnic media editor at Kaiser Health News and a journalist who has long covered the Vietnamese American community. Welcome to you.
4: Thanks, Lily, for having me on.
2: It's really great to have you here, Ngoc. Why don't we begin with your read when you see these comparisons made to the fall of Saigon? What goes through your mind?
4: Well, the first thing that I think about is just how similar those events, just the evacuation part of it, how that seemed to be. And part of that is just how it's playing out in the media, too, that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of dramatic images of the evacuation. And, uh, you know, we're starting to hear more of the voices of the Afghans themselves, but not the refugees who have en route to the United States and are at the military bases. And it's a it's a very big historical moment. And I'm sure there's a lot of emotion just within the refugees who've made it to the United States and who are in the camps now. And I'm just trying to imagine how they feel based on my family's experience, because we were in refugee camps as well in the United States after the fall of uh, Saigon and on April 30th, 1975. There was a lot of fallout after Vietnam. I mean, as we know, I'm not gonna, this is not a comparison, I'm not making a prediction, but after the initial wave of 120,000 Vietnamese refugees who came to the United States, you know, kind of through approved channels, then there were thousands more Vietnamese who were desperate to leave the country, suffering a lot of economic hardships, food shortages, desperation, and also kind of retribution from the government that was in place in Vietnam. And so they left the country on on rickety boats. And we know about the boat, the boat people refugees. So there continued to be fallout from that that affected the United States after that.
2: Mm -hmm. What's your view of whether Americans will welcome Afghan refugees? And how can Americans provide support if they want to help be a part of that welcome?
4: Right. I think that's that's really critical and key now because they're here um, in these mil- in about seven military bases in the United States. I, I do believe in the generosity of Americans. And I look back on that period for the Vietnamese refugees. There were good Samaritans who sponsored Vietnamese from the camps. It was actually about making sure that they the refugees would be able to. F- be financially able to support themselves at some point and that the sponsor would then have some responsibility in that. So it's kind of like a, a guarantee that the person would eventually make it and not be a drain on the US economy. That was a very important promise from the administration to the American people. But on a personal level, I mean, they really opened their hearts and their homes to the Vietnamese refugees. And I get a sense from um, things that I'm seeing in news reports about resources and organizations where Americans can go to help. I'm seeing a lot of my colleagues sending around emails, how how you can help these organizations. I think that that is definitely something that I'm seeing more people want, wanting to do to step up. But the resources are gonna be so important, they're going to need housing, they're going to need help with um, perhaps uh, with food, Uh, with uh, vocational training, ESL classes. These are all things that my parents' generation, they were able to have this kind of help when they first
2: resettled in the United States. All right. Noc Nguyen, journalist with Kaiser Health News and someone who's been covering the Vietnamese American community for many years, drawing comparisons with what's happening now in Afghanistan. Thank you so much.
4: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Lily.
2: And that is the California Report for this Thursday, September 2nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know...